welcome to the Get More Success Show. He's a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his wife. Let's get ready to rumble! It's showtime. 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 It's showtime. Showtime! And now, here is your host, Warwick Merry. Welcome to another episode of the Get More Success podcast. Today, I am thrilled to have with me, all the way from Texas, Cheryl Jones. Hi, Cheryl. Hey, Warwick. How are you today? I am fantastic and thrilled to have you on. Now, are you in Dallas, Texas? I'm in San Antonio, San Antonio, Texas. the cool and trendy part of Texas. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Today, now, now Cheryl's from Simply the Best Results, so Cheryl's all focused about how do we get the best results. Before we get started, I have to ask, because I ask more of my guests, how would you define success, Cheryl? You know, I think it depends on every organization. They each define their own levels of success as well as individuals do. So, you know, it's kind of how that organization defines it for themselves. In some cases, it's customer service skills or, or results um, or sat- customer satisfaction results. Other times it's financially, you know, motivated or there's benchmarks there. But I think, it, you know, it de- it's defined by each organization and how they want to look at it. What about for you personally? How do you personally define success? My personal um, definition is really about making a difference. So I want to leave a client better off than before I got there. So I'm hoping to impart wisdom and influence and ideas and uh, new skills that will make all of their lives better, not just their bottom line of their business better, but their lives better, their interactions better. Fantastic. So so let's take the opportunity. Tell me a little bit about Simply the Best Results. Tell me a bit about your organization. What do you do? Sure. Um, I guess maybe the, the the one of the unique things is I've been around since 1990, um, and my background is in hospitality. So I worked in the hospitality industry for a number of years, working in hotels and restaurants and theme parks. And so I hold I get that whole idea of camaraderie and service, and so that's like ingrained in my personality. And so and on service, big time. Oh, big heavy duty. You know that service is a really big thing. So um, in that time, I've worked with all different kinds of industries. Every Everything from stores that sell rugs to hospitals and clinics to dentist's office to actually, uh, you might have heard of a small little NBA basketball team called the San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> I worked with them for seven seasons, and that was just delightful to uh, to be part of that experience. And I was with them for two championships or through two championships, so it was uh, it was it was perfect timing. Um, so my historical background is is was focused on service and getting people delivering really good service. And it kind of expanded into, you know, really it's about being in relationship and we're in relationship, not only with our coworkers and our managers and our CEOs, but we're also in need to develop a really strong relationship with our customers. And that's where the significance comes in. So bottom line is that connection and relationship. And you, you raise a really good point here talking about service. Now, I lived in Dallas, Texas for 12 months back in 92, and I've been to the States several times since then. For those of you who are listening and um, from Cheryl's context, you might notice my accent's a little bit different. Uh, <laughs> I am This is based out of Melbourne, Australia. 
I can talk Texan for you if you like, but to you. Nice job. <laughs> but uh, I won't. But I was recently in Washington, and I found, in my personal experience, the service wasn't as good. It feels like over time, and I'm just talking about the local cafes and restaurants, the service has sort of dropped. Would you say that that's a fair observation, Cheryl? I think it is. And it's unfortunate. And I think that's driven by the the need for the numbers kind of thing mm. and thinking we can still deliver quality service with fewer people. Mm. And what I'm also seeing is there's not a lot of training going on, mm. which is really sad because that's that's how you ingrain it in people and make create loyalty, not only with employees, but create loyalty with your customers. So the training is such a huge part of it. Right. Huge part of that. Mm-hmm. And so are you finding that there's essentially some significant staff turnover? So people are like, well, they're going to leave anyway, so why train them? We'll just get them in. This is pretty much what you do. Off you go. I've noticed that. In fact, that was the whole reason I started this business in 1990 was I came out of the hospitality industry and the people that were managers above me were going, oh, I don't care if those people leave or not. And I'm like, but I care. And and because it took so long to train them and get them to the level of quality that I expected Mm -hmm. and that our customers expected that, you know, to let them just leave just made no sense, you know. Um, And but there was a I hate to say it's a mentality, but the hospitality industry at the time had this, oh, well, we can just find five others just like them. Yeah. Not necessarily true yeah, at all. Yeah, Because well, that's very interesting. Like, you know, as I say, you know, when I was in Washington, the service wasn't as good, but there was one place, it was incredible. The, the woman was just fantastic. And when she gave us our bill, she'd actually given us, given us a significant discount. So obviously her boss had given her the power to do as she pleased with the bill. Now, naturally, we just said, well, whatever that discount is, that's now her tip. Um, so, you know, it just, and, and I'm from a culture, we don't tip. In Australia, we don't tip. So therefore, to do that was a big shift for us. So we enjoyed the service. So is it yeah. fair to say that sometimes service is individual-based versus cultural-based? In, in if you're thinking about it in terms of the person delivering the service, mm-hmm. yes, it can be. And of course, in, in our culture, it's very um, prevalent and we acknowledge with tips that, you know, the kind of service we get. Um, very often people will um, n- give a little bit less of a tip for average service and will over tip for extraordinary service. And I think, you know, it really boils down to relationship again. There was a study um, done not too long ago to see um, what made the difference in terms of waiter and waitresses tips. And so they had a test group, they had a control group and a test group and the control group just did business as normal as service as normal in their restaurant. And the other group, was the group that actually like laid their hand on the customer's shoulder or shook their hand. And they found that there was a significant increase in the connection. And because of the connection, there was a significant increase in the amount of tips those waiters and waitresses received. Right. That was all appropriate touching. Don't misunderstand. <laughs> but um, Come to the I, restaurant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it goes back to that whole connection piece. Yeah. You know, that energy that that we share with one another when we shake each other's hands, when we meet on, on a first-time basis, or when we greet one another. Sometimes we even hug one another. 
probably not uh, appropriate in most restaurant settings to hug your server, but, uh, you know, or them to hug you. But they did find that there was a much higher increase that, in that. Just, that's, just that's, connection. that's very interesting because I would suggest that if you're a regular at a certain restaurant, you would, you would have a deeper relationship with particular servers where it would be appropriate to give them a hug as you've come in or to have that stronger connection. And I've seen that happen, especially in our community. I mean, this is such a social, San Antonio especially is a family-oriented mm -hmm. culture. And so there's a lot of hugging going on here. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and, and in fact, I've learned because now I do that, I actually ask people, would it be all right if I hug you? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and then usually they welcome it like crazy. You yeah, say, oh, yeah, that'd be fine. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, so. Okay, so that's, that's from a, a uh, essentially a retail point of view, a cafe point of view. What about bigger organizations and some of the bigger organizations like you've worked with, such as, you know, the the San Antonio Spurs. I'm sure they're not like, let's hug everybody as they come in the door. <laughs> but how, from a bigger organization's point of view, how do you get that level of connection happening there? Or, or what are the what are the big barriers? Maybe that's a better question. What are the big issues in terms of connection in larger organizations? I think there's a couple things that are, are real specific and obvious to me. When I think back to working with the Spurs, um, they're initially weren't, they weren't connected. The, t the, not the basketball players, don't get me wrong. The back of the house that made every game happen. Yeah. They weren't really in great connection. They were growing pretty quickly at that point. Um, when I started working with them, they were, believe it or not, they were kind of a small organization back of the house. There was like 38 people there. Right. And by the time I left, there was over 120 and I don't know what they're at right now, but it's a huge organization now. And initially, everybody kind of worked in their own little silos. So marketing did their thing. Sales did their thing. Basketball operations did their thing. And the thing is, is they didn't all come together. Yeah. That was the role I played. Um, when I worked with them, not only did we want to bring that group of people together, but we had three other organizations that made a basketball game happen. Mm -hmm. So we had the food department. We had the, the building department that yeah, you know made sure venue, that yeah. seats were there yeah the venue and then we had Ticketmaster who were the ticket sellers yeah. so you know we had all those people that we brought together and so first we got those folks into relationship there hadn't been really good relationships between them there was a lot of tug of war between that's my area no that's you know yeah. no you know, and they want to fight over it. But once we were able to bring all those people together, and the same thing is true, you know, for intact organizations, because departments do exactly the same thing. You know, they live in little silos and, well, I'm sales and you're distribution, you know, you should do what I tell you to do. <laughs> Let's and, work as you know, a team and do it my way. Oh, yeah, do it my way. And there's no room for collaboration or discussion. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, bringing those folks together, I think, is the first thing. And then talking about how we wanted the trust, building trust and mm -hmm. collaboration, and then talking about how do we want to communicate that to the community? Because in our in this case, the community is the fan base. Mm -hmm. So um, we then, you know, they would have the same people every night as the greeters and ticket takers. So that as people came in for every game, those season ticket holders saw the same faces and they built a rapport and they would say things like hey it's nice to have you back welcome and at the end of the night they'd say thank you for coming in i hope to see you next time you yeah. know or hope to see you tuesday or whenever the next game was yeah. so there was rapport building skills that were able to you know extend you know they weren't hugging them coming and going although i did see some hugs every now and then <laughs> but again it's that long-term relationship that feeling of comfort that feeling of 
it's it's another it's a place like home you know it's like it wouldn't be the same if I'm not there it's like oh my god it's a Saturday night the game's on and I'm not there I'm missing out on my right. my family essentially and you know you bring that that you're absolutely right it became a social event mm. uh, they created um, this this team of people that we brought together to improve fan relations. Um, came up with a number of di- ideas to make to bring the the um, fan really into the experience mm-hmm. and they created a kind of a red carpet ring around the floor that was behind the floor seats that became the social area where people gathered um, during halftime and and breaks and things like that to meet each other say hi to one another and it was a really um, it became a whole event just to go to a game. It was, it was, it's really kind of cool. And the really cool part about that is we actually have some statistics that prove that it worked, that it did work. The NBA was doing um, surveys at that point in time and they would do intercepts and stop fans and ask them how we were doing and Mm -hmm. so forth in terms of of fan satisfaction. We started in ninth place Uh, a year or so later, we were in third place and then first place before it was all said and done. So it proves that that those relationships really creating that relationship and connectedness really works. Yeah. Really and you, and you, would, think, you would think that like for some of your season ticket holders, they're going to be sitting in the same seat every week surrounded by the same people who they'll end up hearing their name because, you know, they'll be, Hey Barb, are you going to pass me the beer? You know? And so you're going to know, well, that's Bob there. So <laughs> There would be the opportunity. Well, I'm here every week. Why? Why not connect? Absolutely. And they did a number of things to, um, you know, we we had a laundry list that we came up with of things that we could make, you know, better. And half of those initially started out, well, we can't do that. And uh, within a week or two, three, four, all of a sudden things were being implemented like crazy and people were feeling empowered to make a difference in the organization instead of feeling like their hands were tied. Yeah, it was, yeah. it, there were so many cool things that came out of that. Uh, it was just fascinating. So with, because you know, there's so many organisations talk about this silo mentality of like this is us and that's them and none shall interact. I send an email to them even though they're sitting right next to me. Um, so how do we overcome that? How do we, if you're a relatively new business who's listening or watching, how do you not have silos put into place? And if you feel like you do have silos in place, how do you actually break down the walls and have it so we're in the one big container? <laughs> You know, I think what um, there's a couple things that we can do, and it's a little bit different for each organization. So, if you're a new business, then you have an opportunity to set a new context, if you will, because you're new, and just establish it right from the get-go that this isn't we're not having silos. That mm-hmm. communication takes place by walking down the hall and communicating with you know the other person in the other department mm-hmm. rather than shooting them an email in all caps. <laughs> So not a good thing to do. Not a good thing to do. So if you're a new business, I think starting with that approach of collaboration and the values of, you know, relationship are extremely important. If you're an established business, then we may have some backtracking to do, Uh, not in a, just in the sense of reestablishing what are our values and then tying our behaviors back to that. Mm. You know, when we see things that's, things are not in alignment with our values, not in alignment with collaboration, teamwork, people leading at every level, then, you know, we need to guide them back and coach them back to doing those kinds of things. They may need some training. They may need some, um, 
additional resources or just permission sometimes because yeah. sometimes people have gotten their hands slapped so they're not going to take on certain things. You know, it's like, oh, that didn't work out well last time. Because that's, that's one of the issues that I've seen is it's not the team, it's their managers who, uh, you know, as you say, they get their hands slapped. The manager's like, you know, you'll do what I say and this is what you do. And so the employee's like, well, I'm not going to give too much caring because the boss sort of tells me what to do. Right. Is, is, so, is that common? Very, very common. I, I don't know about in, in Australia, but it's very common here. I see it over and over again. And I think what that the bottom line is, is that the managers haven't received enough training. Right. So there are people who have excelled in their position, been moved up through the ranks because the senior managers feel like they can trust them. And so they were a content expert. So they might as well be, a, they must be a good manager. <laughs> Not, not always anyway. Sometimes they are, yeah. but very often they're lacking some skill sets in terms of how do you communicate effectively? How do you listen attentively and actively? Uh, how do you, you know, invite people to be involved and not feel threatened? Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes they feel threatened, which is unfortunate because they're still holding the management position. Nobody's taking that away from them. Yeah. It's just they feel a little nervous, like, I'm supposed to know everything, you know, <laughs> and is, there's is no this, way to know everything. Is this something um, without uh, – stereotypically, it appears to me that men be more protective uh, and have this ego of, but I'm the man, I should know things. As Are men as managers more, shall we say, challenged – to um, admit they don't know and ask for help than females? You know, I, this is this is a quandary for me mm. because what I've noticed in my 25 years of being in business is that 98% of the people that have hired me have been men. One lady's hired me twice. <laughs> so I'm not sure, you know, I'm like, okay, so, hmm. I think what happens is... Men recognize there's a problem, but then it's typically they're having issues between the women in their organization and they don't know what to do with the women. Right. And so they're like, ah. you know, men, they can just tell them it's black and white, do this or do that. And the men will follow. The women tend to get, we get weird sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I'm fine. Both of my wives <laughs> have always been fabulous. <laughs> You must have perfect wives. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think um, I think as a woman and as an entrepreneur, I think very often, I'm not speaking for all women, but I think we think we're supposed to know how to do it all. Right. And I think this is a bad um, thought process that we have, yeah. that we don't always, we don't look for help. Yeah. It's kind of funny because the assumption would be that men would have more of the ego. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I don't really think I find that true. Okay. I'm, I'm going to have to research that some more. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think that it just draws the point that not only have you got organizational culture things in play, you've got um, different, uh, uh, probably different cultural, different gender, different, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of stereotypes as well that without knowing it, we have them. And that right. we, are, we are going to make uh, assumptions, rightly or wrongly. So this mm -hmm. is obviously all going to affect our communication, isn't it? Absolutely. That's why, you know, it's so important that we have an agreement about how we're going to communicate. Mm -hmm. Things like little techniques, like what I heard you say was, did I get mm -hmm. that right? Yeah. You know, 
allow us to clear up stuff without making up stuff. Yeah. You know, very often people will go, well, he just said blah, blah, blah. And that hurt my feelings. And then nobody ever says a word, yeah. you know, about it. Nobody clears it up when that wasn't the intention at all. Yeah. But when we have agreed agreements about how we'll communicate with one another, gosh, the team can be so much more effective. Managers can be so much more effective. Employees can communication just excels. And that means there's not a lot of uh, wasted time on, what did he say and what did he mean or what did she say and what well, did she that's mean? that's the thing, isn't it? It's what you say, what you mean or what I think you said and what I think you mean and then somewhere in that mix it gets a bit messy. Oh, yeah, real messy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because um, now I'm mad at you and now I'm telling my coworker <laughs> what you said and and what I think that meant. I don't say it and I don't say that's what I think I meant and what you meant. I say that's what he meant. How could sure. he say that to me? And then all of a sudden you've got these, you know, You've got gossip, a little gossip chain going and bickering and finger pointing and on and on. So for successful communication in the workplace, be it if you're all in the one office or nowadays, I'm sure many of your clients have got multiple geographic locations, which adds to that. And with, you know, we're using less and less, um, it used to be we went from letters to faxes to phone calls to emails to texts now. There's so much business communication in my text which we don't even type the whole word. We're just putting letters in. So there is so much opportunity for miscommunication. Mm -hmm. So how do you set up a communication protocol with all of those factors without having thinking about the different demographics of the people and the different different generations? Like, you know, the new employee who's 20 who thinks they should be the CEO next week versus the person who's 50 who doesn't understand what's going on with the young people today. What elements of a communication, to have successful communication in your organization, what are some of the key things you need? I think you need to have some agreements about, first of all, how you're going to communicate and what do things mean so that, you know, the, the younger group, if you will, um, they talk one way to one another, which they could never get away with, you know, talking to our generation um, in a business setting. I mean, just, there's just no way it would fly. They'd be out on their ear. But uh, I think that the key is, is to bring everybody together have everybody trained, even if, you know, even in large organizations, we can do it in sections. And, and, and very often I've taken large groups offsite and we've done a full day retreat where people are not sitting with the people they normally work with. Yeah. And so they have a chance to meet people. Then they learn new skills together and they're, uh, you know, a little anxious and uncomfortable initially, and then get through that. And then very often, I one of my favorite things to do is to do exercises that that test them a little bit, where they can play games together and have challenges, team challenges toward one another, uh, or against you know a little against one another. But it allows them to bond with a new group group of people yeah. and um, and understand them a little bit better. We also do things like personality profiles that let you know kind of like, oh, well, this is what's important to me. Oh, I understand what's important to me. I understand that you have different preferences. If I can honor your preferences, we'll probably get along a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's that. And then kind of bringing that whole day back to what what the values and the goals are of the organization and letting each person explore how they could really engage and be part of that. What, you know, what can I do as an individual hourly employee to um, really make a difference toward our goals or improve our service or whatever the the focus might yeah, be. Yeah. And having that, mm-hmm. I'm amazed when you run those kind of things and people come up and go, 
it's you. I've been emailing you for three years, and for the first time I've finally met you and spoken to you. It's amazing. <laughs> it really is. It is. Yeah. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you don't look like your voice. <laughs> That's it. And, and, I'm, and like some people, I'm like, I, I, I just don't get why they haven't picked up the phone and spoken to them. But for whatever reason, they've just emailed for all these years. Mm-hmm. And, and that probably speaks a lot to organizational culture as well, yeah? I think so too. You know, a lot of that is established from the top. And so if the, if the, whoever the, the top guardian is, if you will, CEO, CFO, manager, GM, whatever, um, will set the tone of relationship and promote that, then they'll see others emulating it and doing yes. the same thing. But if they use their email and text messages, because for whatever reason, maybe they don't want to interact that often or they're not comfortable with it. Unfortunately, that sets up a trend and a pattern to follow. And it doesn't necessarily bring people together. Um, You know, there's a way to, for those people who are a little uncomfortable, more self-contained to feel more comfortable in a large group or or talking one-on-one, but it's all about trust and feeling comfortable and, you know, bringing people together in, as in a team environment, like a retreat or something like that uh, allows those walls to come down and trust to come up. Yeah. Yeah. And that that leadership team really do set the tone for the organization. And I, and I know many, organizations they'll get external consultants in and go well you need to fix this problem but in in, in essence the key element is well you need to be an example of the kind of behaviors you want your organization to have that's a is that a fair comment absolutely absolutely it is yeah and without um you know, I, I do coaching as well. So I work with managers and executives to help them improve their communication and how they're seen by their direct reports as well as the rest of the organization. And there's been times where people have these executives have had this facade up, this front, yeah. you know, that um, that they're not approachable or they're not friendly. And it's so not true. You know, it's just that their personality is a little more self-contained. So they've been a little protected. They've protected themselves a little bit. Yeah. And so we've worked to bring that that facade down so there's more authenticity coming through. And they've found that employees are so much more loyal and interested and involved and engaged. So we're getting back to the very beginning when we we're talking about it's about that communication. It's about understanding that we're just a couple of humans trying to achieve a few things together. So let's, you know, connect and be friendly as we do it. Essentially. Essentially. Yes. <laughs> ah. Yeah. It's like, you know, if we can work on our trust and our communication, then you know what? I know you've got my back. I've got your back. We're all working toward the organizational goal. And um, if things go awry, then I'll pick up the phone and say, hey, something didn't work right. Yeah. What are we going to do about it? And we work together to solve the problem. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've yeah. mentioned trust on several occasions now. So obviously trust is a key element of, of this, this communication. And and I get that trust's important, but it seems to me that there's so many things that happen and sometimes managers have to make calls that, while it doesn't, uh, it, it erodes the trust, shall we say. They have to make decisions that, and they were like, well, we have to sack three people and unfortunately one of your best friend's one of them, mm-hmm. that erodes trust. So how do you continue to build trust when making some of these tough decisions so you have that success culture in the organisation? The one of the things that I think is most significant is being transparent. Mm-hmm. You obviously, if somebody has um, stolen something from the organization and they end up getting fired, um, 
you know, kind of thing, you know, or they've broken some rule or whatever. You're not going to go around and publicize the fact that they've broken the rule and that's why they're fired. But I really believe that transparency um, is is most important. Transparency in terms of, you know, if you're going to have layoffs, then be truthful about it. Our numbers are not, we're not, you know, making our numbers. Um, we've got a problem, you know, we're going to lay some folks off. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if somebody has broken a, a serious rule, then you just say one of our, one of our rules have been violated and, you know, we need to make sure that trust is insured here. Yeah. So you don't go into the story, but you're transparent about it and yeah. you're, and you're upfront about it and you're consistent about how you handle similar things. Right. I recently, um, was called in to help with a, um, we'll call it kind of an intervention, but really it was an investigation <laughs> because there was an employee complaint about another employee. Yes. And so they asked me to come in and do the research and find out what's going on and make recommendations. And mm -hmm. this is a client that I've worked with, you know, off and on for probably six or seven years. I come in and do various projects with them and they've grown exponentially, like every, every year they've grown. Yeah. And um, so I came in and, and investigated what was going on and there was an accusation and so forth. And, and, um, there was when when I put the when I sat down with the the CEO and gave the recommendations of, of their options for handling it, um, they said great, thank you. And then they went back to the partners and talked about it. And the partners said, Nah, I don't think she meant anything by it. Um, she, you know, she was just kidding. We're gonna let it go. Yeah. The problem is is that that becomes. A behavior and they can't trust we're back to trust again they their employees won't be able to trust them to take care of them and abide by yeah. their own rules yeah um, so consistency is extremely important that everybody be treated equally across the board whether you're an hourly employee or you're the cfo yeah. it doesn't matter yeah. everybody should get the same benefits and if you will and the same treatment so that brings me back just to hearing that example it sounds to me and I'm not sure what it's like in the States, but I know that it happens here, is many managers do not want to face confrontation, particularly some uncomfortable confrontation. <laughs> and they're, they'd prefer to go, well, we'll just let that go for now. This will just be a one-off. And after 15 one-offs, they're still just letting it go. Is that is that a consistent thing, a theme that you see across business? I'm afraid it is. Mm. You know, the, the important thing and the unfortunate thing is, is that that sets them up for lawsuits. And that can be so much more expensive mm. than five minutes of discomfort. <laughs> you know, that's like years of discomfort if it goes to, if it goes to court, yeah. you know, and just, oh my goodness, they'll just and, wish that and, and, they and had for me, sucked it up. Because like, I know, you know, Americans have the reputation of lawsuits and lawyers and that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong, Australia's following firmly in your path because lawyers go, ooh, money. Um, but for me, I would think that a bigger problem would be that it, it erodes your culture. You know, if, if, you, yeah. if you as a boss have that, um, that uncomfortable conversation and say, look, this happened, we've dealt with it, we don't tolerate that kind of behavior around here, then everyone else in the organization would go, yes, that's the kind of company I want to work for. So if you don't have that, that confrontation, then you're not getting the engagement. People would just, it's now become just a job. It's not exactly. the San Antonio Spurs where we love to come and it's got a great culture and we love being here. 
You're right. It does erode the culture. And not only that, it people, you have more turnover because they don't feel like they're, I'm going to use this word, but they don't feel love. They don't yeah. feel the love, you know? And some people might think that's a little uh, soft, but the, the thing is, is by ha- it's kind of like raising children. <laughs> the boundaries are what lets them know they're loved when there's the boundaries aren't there and they can go hairy carry and go crazy and do whatever they want to. And there's no repercussions or problems. Then that's, you know, they just get into more trouble yeah. rather than, you know, having a good firm foundation and knowing where the edges of the, of the road are. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think, We've been talking all along about communication, eliminating silos, trust, building a a healthy work culture. And it sounds to me that these are all key elements of preferred employees, yeah? Yes. Preferred employers. And and many organizations want to be preferred employers and spend a lot of money trying to get to the top of these lists because that means their recruiting costs are down, their staff turnover is down, their... And so it sounds like to be this preferred, preferred, I'm having trouble saying it. Who would have thought? I, I thought I spoke English. To be a preferred employer, that um, there really is this, it, it's, it's not easy. It is hard, but it's rewarding. And it would seem to me that building the kind of cultures and the kind of work that you do for clients creates value, not just monetarily, but in so many ways that makes a better organization overall. I, I think I agree with you completely in our community, which is over a million and a half, you know, little San Antonio is over a million and a half people talk. And so, you know, I mean, granted we have the internet and we have websites that tell you who the preferred employers are, et cetera. But what nothing is better, nothing is better than talking to somebody who's either worked there or is working there now to see if you want to work there. And um, people are don't hold back. They go, oh, no, this is not the place to work. You know, I, I'm here until I can find something better. <laughs> or they go, oh, my gosh, this is the best place to work, you know. Because the last so, thing you want is employees who've retired. They just haven't told you yet. You know, yes, their body the turns up. I don't actually do anything, but I'm here because I get the money. Um, and, and basically we're going back to that L word again. It is about feeling the love. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at all the organizations where people rave about, like Zappos, but people rave about Zappos and the, and the service that you get. And they love their employees so much that if it's not a fit, they pay them to leave. You know, they've Isn't got their, crazy? you know, it's, yeah. I think it's $3,000 or something after the first couple of months. If they decide they don't want to be there, they pay them three grand to leave. Like Isn't this that, is an investment in their culture. And I think mm-hmm. that successful organizations happily invest in their people and their culture because that is the lifeblood of what they do. And Zappos does it that way. But I remember hearing something like they train them for six weeks before they're uh, before they're even like released. And then it takes two years to be on the phones to, to you know, be a salesperson. So they seriously they're serious about making sure that that culture is consistent and that anybody who calls in or, you know, has contact with Zappos is going to get the same level of service <laughs> yeah. and interaction, I think is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, I've heard people say, well, what if I train them and they leave and and the response being, but what if you try, don't train them and they stay? You know, so it really, you know, is that the, <laughs> the service you want? So in your, just as we're wrapping up now, in your experience or your perspective, what do you reckon are those, maybe the top three issues that businesses are going to, to, to face if they want to have success or if they want to be simply the best and have simply the best results? Mm-hmm. What, are the, what do you think are the three or four key issues that they're, they're going to need to address? 
I think that the first one that they're going to need to address is, is to look at their culture and see what are the values, you know, be really clear about what the values are. They may have them hanging on the wall somewhere, but the truth of the matter is, is that doesn't make them real. That's what wallpaper. makes it real? I beg your pardon? That's just wallpaper. Exactly. Hey, that was an idea. You could have, uh, never mind. Uh, I was thinking of, you know, bathrooms lined with wallpaper with your value statements on it, but admission statement. That's not a bad idea. We might start something, you and I. Um, anyway, so uh, so I think it ties, you know, tying it back to tying behaviors back to what our values are and our commitment to, you know, why, why is this business in business? Um, what's the purpose of it? So that's probably the first thing. The second thing is to get everybody on the same page because so frequently they are not on the same page. And as a result, um, people are making up their own rules and, and um, you know, not abiding by what is in the best interest of the organization. They're leaning more toward what's easiest for them yep. So as the individual. So getting everybody on the same page and then that the communication with in the organization is incredibly important, which kind of goes back to getting everybody together so that we can all talk about what that looks like. And probably the last, but maybe the, in a way, maybe the second most important thing after looking at what our values are and our, what culture we want to have is management development. Like I said earlier, we have content experts that have been promoted up that don't have any background at all in yeah, yeah, yeah. how to communicate, how to motivate, how to inspire, how to engage, how to listen, how to coach. All those things are you know, are skill sets that you have to learn yeah. that don't necessarily just come with being a content expert yeah, or an yeah, expert yeah. in whatever your job is. Yeah. And my background's in IT, and I would say that so many times. The head programmer's like, right, you're now going to be the team leader for these people. A, they didn't want to do it. B, they mm -hmm. had no idea what to do, and they just wanted to sit in their corner and do coding. And so it just it doesn't make sense if you don't have the skill set, you know, and it's and I've seen some of the best managers are the ones who really have no idea the technicality of what's going on with their with, with their people, but they mm -hmm. don't know how to manage people because it's a completely different skill set. Totally different, and it's learnable. That's the whole thing. It's you know if you if you're at least interested, you can learn it. Yeah, yeah. I can teach you. <laughs> <laughs> Even you, Merrick. I can. Well, I can. I don't know where Merrick came from. Sorry. Um, I, I can teach you. I'm sure I can. We love a bit of teaching. Hey, Cheryl, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. If people want to get in touch with you and find out more about you and your business, how's the best way to get in touch with you? The best way to reach me is just pick up the phone and call me because I love talking with people to find out what's going on with them. So you could I'm going to shamelessly plug my phone number. Do it. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Area code 210-545-2378 or 888-545-2378. So. Great. Uh, what about and your website? Have you got a website with fabulous stuff on it? I do. It's at www.ofcourseSimplyTheBestResults.com. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Cheryl Jones, thank you for being with us today on the Get More Success podcast, vodcast, wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Look forward to having you next time on the Get More Success show. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Get More Success show with Warwick Merry. Continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our Facebook group that we'd love for you to join. Getmoresuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me, your host, Warwick Merry. Thanks for listening and we hope you can get more success.